presence. In your name, amen. You can be seated. And as I give some announcements, I'm going to ask, Valanda, can you help me? Can you make sure that each table has one of these, but put it down face down and nobody cheat. You can't get a head start on the pink paper, okay? And it's pink on purpose. So face, yeah, Catherine needs her own face down because she and I are going to do it, but I already know the answer. So Catherine, if Catherine wins, by the way, I tell you what. <laughs> if any of you want to come join us because we'll be at the winning table, you can just come up and sit by Catherine. Um, so a few announcements for tonight. First of all, you made it to the gathering. For those of you who had to kind of wander around over in the other building for a while, I'm sorry I forgot to put a sign up sooner. Brandy, thank you for running over and doing that for us. Um, I also want to thank Mary, Tori, and Tiffany. Would you guys wave your hands, please? They're right here in the middle. And the food table was all for Mary, Tori, and Tiffany tonight. So thank you. February is a birthday month for them. So whose birthdays are in February? Happy birthday tomorrow at the very end. So way back in October when I said, we would love to have people adopt a month and do the food table, they came running up that way and said, we want February. It's our birthday month. So if, and Oregon's birthday as well. So if any of you consider yourself gathering regulars and you would be interested in adopting the food table for March, April, or May, let me know. What I've found out about my capacity, just in case you're wondering what has happened with our food, I do not personally have the capacity to coordinate six or seven or eight people with their platter of food. So I have had people come and say, I could bring one, I could bring this, but I can't do that. Um, it's just beyond my capacity with my three little kids and what I do, and I just kind of had to finally admit that I, I don't have the capacity for that. So if somebody adopts the month and wants to coordinate six or seven platters or do it themselves, we will have food. And if nobody steps up, then we won't. And I don't have any way of letting you know ahead of time whether we do or we don't. So you might kind of eat half a dinner just in case you come and there's a table full and so you won't be hungry. And, you know, as we continue with this gathering, which we will, hopefully we'll get some teams set in place that you would just know what you can count on each month. But for now, if you wanted to adopt March, April, or May, or a Thursday morning, because we meet again in this room in the morning, we do have food tomorrow, um, let me know, because I'd love to just turn that over to you for the month. Thank you very much, Mary, Tori, and Tiffany, and happy birthday. This weekend is a gathering in Salem, but if you haven't heard about it, I want to make sure you've heard about it. It's called if it's a live simulcast from Austin, Texas, and it's being um, held at Court Street Christian Church. It will start Friday at 2 in the afternoon. It's not too late to register. You can either go online and just Google if gathering and then go to if local um, because none of us are flying to Austin. And then um, the name is Lauren Enns. Lauren Enns is the Salem local coordinator. If you forget any of that, you could also... Um, call the church and ask for me and I could tell you, you could shoot me an email, um, or just show up at Court Street Christian at two on Friday. Ah, so the nine sevens would be where you'd find the if local. Thank you, Araya. Um, it's a whole bunch of speakers on the national circuit, well-known ladies. Uh, Jenny Allen is one of them and we've done a, we're just starting a study of hers in one of our women's groups. And um, I don't know what to expect. I'm going to go, and they're doing a live simulcast, and they're doing a lot of table discussion at the local level, and so we're just going to see what it's like. Uh, there's no cost to attend. Uh, if you register online, they do have a $1 donation just to get into the system and get you registered, but they chose not to charge for that. You can always donate more. So that's the IF gathering. 
And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, the pink paper. Don't turn it over yet. Okay. This is a competition for which I'm very sorry to say I left the chocolate at home. So if you win, you get an extra trip to the table where there's plenty of good things. Um, so your table is trying to win. This is a competition. That's why you couldn't turn it over yet. The game is name that princess. That's why it's on pink. Brooke just about levitated over there, by the way. <laughs> and what I've done is there's a phrase from, most of them were from song lyrics. I tried really hard to make sure they were all in songs. Uh, there is a list of the princesses on the right, A, B, C, D, E, and your job is to put the letter of the princess by the song or the snippet of the song. Uh, first group to come to the front with their pink paper and verify that they have the right answers is the winner. Ready, set, go. Okay, I think we have a winner, but keep working at your tables. Keep working, keep working. So one per table, and then they're going to discuss them. So I want, like there's six, and then they start to, re there's six, and they start to repeat. So I just want each table to get one song. Does that make sense? Okay. Brooke is going to check her answers right up here with the microphone, and you can check and see if you agreed. All right. So, Brooke. Someday my prince will come. Someday I'll find my love. E, Snow White. Snow White. Okay, they're done as well. So you guys are in second if Brooke has any wrong. And Brooke's table. Okay, when will my reflection show who I am inside? Mulan. Mulan, A. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. H, Elsa. Elsa. That's a brand new one if you didn't know that one. It just came out in December. I kind of... Tricked you. All at once, everything looks different. Now that I see you. That's Rapunzel. I. Someday I'll be a part of your world. Ariel. Okay. Ariel. You're the best thing I never knew I needed. Tiana. Tiana. I would not have known that one, by the way. We don't like that. We don't like that one. We don't like that one. Uh, so that was power of reason of elimination on that one? Yep. Okay. Uh, a Whole New World? Jasmine. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme? Belle. D. If you keep on believing, the dreams that you wish will come true? That's Cinderella. J. Once Upon a Dream? Is Aurora. F. Aurora, by the way, is um, Sleeping Beauty. Sorry if you weren't sure about her. And I will fly, chase the wind, and touch the sky. Merida. Okay, so I have to confess, on Tiana, I just looked up a bunch of songs and chose a line that sounded good. So if it wasn't a real famous one, I apologize. <laughs> What's a better line? Tiana, let's see. C is the princess and the frog. So what would have been a better line from that one? Anybody have a catchphrase? Not so much. Okay. Thank you, Brooke. Your table wins an extra trip to the food table. Okay. So now, what you have at your tables are some lyrics from one of these Disney songs. The whole song printed out. Catherine came and brought a white sheet, and it's at your table. And this is our table talk time tonight. If you would have someone read those lyrics, and the question that we're asking is, what are the messages that this song is sending? What are the messages? Now, keep in mind that tonight we're talking about building healthy relationships. 
Building healthy relationships. So what are the messages that the song that you're reading is sending? So you can scribble on your paper, somebody can be your note taker, and then we're gonna share that around the room in just a little bit. Some of you know a lot of Disney lyrics, and this kind of trips your trigger, because you're like, they are sending messages to our little girls. And if your table goes off on some of that, write down some of the phrases that stand out to you and what the messages are. So even if it's not one of the songs that you have at your table, if you have a strong feeling about some of the messages that are being sent, write it down so that you can share it with the group and talk about it with your table. Does discussion make sense? Okay, have fun. Okay. What are some of the messages that you guys heard in some of the lyrics that you saw? Just shout them out. Tell us what song you have and what messages you heard. Okay, as soon as you find your man, everything's going to be perfect because someday my prince will come. Some of the older ones are even more so than some of the newer ones, although it's there. It's there in the newer ones too. What else? Uh, who else had Snow White, by the way? What did you guys notice in the message there? Okay. Just going to last forever, no questions asked. Marty? They would know. Okay. Love at first sight and never be any problems. Yeah, oh, for the movies, right? Anybody else have Someday My Prince Will Come? Yeah, that book that I wanted to have open to the page I wanted. Um, another song, another message. Okay, when will my life begin from Tangled? What other table had that one? Okay, back in the back. So what did, uh, right up here, what did you guys, what messages did you hear? Okay, that was a lot in a little bit. So it was all about her. She was accomplishing an awful lot, but it was never enough. And what else? Okay, longing for rescue, being stuck. Hold that thought for a second. Any other messages that you guys noticed, Amanda? Yeah, we know there was one people that was a very unhealthy people. Yeah, but there, were, there was no relationship for her. So all of this that they just mentioned is in context of the fact that she had no one really to interact with. Okay. Anything else up here? Okay. Yeah, thank you, you guys. Someone else, either the song that you had or something that you got to talking about. Araya? Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I want to read a little bit of that. For those who couldn't hear Araya, they have a song that's also from the movie Tangled called See the Light. And it's about she's discontent and everything becomes clear in one person, which happens to be true love, who she knew at first sight. Well, maybe not first sight on this one, but figured it out within 24 hours. And then there might be some arguing, but they were going to live happily ever after. And this is what Araya was saying was they had a conversation about how um, it would be a great conversation with people about if this was a song about God. Um, At last I see the light and it's like the fog has lifted. The sky is new. It's warm and real. Somehow the world has shifted. Everything looks different. Things are crystal clear. God does that for us, but it's not something that we find in a person. 
which is pretty important because we often get the message that it is found in a person, right? Okay, let's keep going. Somebody else have see the light? What did you guys see in it, Angie? An unrealistic expectation set in one person. And I would want to put out for the point of this conversation that that's not just in a romantic relationship. We can do that in friendship as well. We can do that in our parent-child relationships. We can do that in our child-to-parent relationships. We can even do it in our work world. Anywhere we have a relationship with another human being, there's the potential for unrealistic expectations for that person to make it all work out right for us. Okay, was there, were there any other songs out there? I think there was one or two. Okay, Let It Go from Frozen, my personal favorite on this conversation, by the way. So tell us what were some of the things. Um, how many of you, by the way, because this one's reasonably new, have no idea what Frozen is about? Okay, no idea. Tina, I will not give any spoilers, okay? But for those of you who have no idea what this conversation is about, um, there are two sisters who are princesses, and one of them has the special gift of being able to make ice and snow out of her hands. And the premise of the movie is um, she's asked to hide that gift and what comes of that and how it kind of breaks out. And so this Let It Go song is when she's no longer been able to hide it. It has hurt some people, and she's out on a snowy mountain by herself coming to grips with she can't hide it anymore. Okay? So I'm going to read a couple of lyrics on that one before you guys talk about it for people who have never heard it before. Okay? So it says... Um, it's a kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. Uh, here's a refrain she'd been saying since she was a little girl. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. That was because she was trying to hide because her parents told her to try to hide her gift. And then she says, well, now they know, like, all hell has broken loose, except it was ice, so I don't think we call that hell. I think that's something else. <laughs> Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say, let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. And the song goes on. So, gives you a background for those of you who've never seen the movie. Okay, now, what messages did you guys see in the, in the song? Go to steps. Go to steps. <laughs> I would agree with you there. <laughs> what did you guys see? Right? Yeah. So she's breaking away from the rules. She says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Yeah. But the breaking out of people's expectations and being who she is. Okay. Anything else? Okay. What did you guys see? Okay. So acceptance of who she is and what she can do. Lonely. Yeah. And a lot of inner conflict. Did you guys have the same one? No? Okay. 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 We'll, we'll move on to Mulan in just a minute. One of the things on this one that's fascinating to me is that it's quite common to human nature. We try and we try and we try and we try, and when we finally can't do it, we honestly flip over to the other side of the spectrum and forgive my language, what we basically say, screw you. I'm done. That's it. I'm not trying anymore. That, that, I slam the door on that. And we, because this over here, trying to be perfect, is so skewy, we don't know that there's somewhere in the middle that 
I can release others' expectations of me without slamming the door on relationship with others. Does this make sense? We'll come back to that. Okay, so back at the back, the song from Mulan. Yeah, she's learned to be someone different to make people happy because it would break her family's heart. And in the context of Mulan, it's cultural tradition, isn't it? Cultural tradition has a thing that they expect of women, and she was different than that. And trying to be herself was going to hurt them. Anything else? Did anyone else have the song from Mulan? Yeah? What messages? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on your family of origin, you may have found as a child or you may be finding with your own children that those cultural traditions have a different weight that carries them depending on the family of origin. And so some families might feel a lot like Mulan's family where, uh, no, if I do what I feel like I'm made to do, I am not going to fit in here. And other families might have that freeing place of, yeah, we're paying careful attention to who you are as an individual and wanting to help you not peg a hole, but become who you were created to be. Any other messages out there that you guys talked about at your tables? Disney or otherwise? Okay. Beauty is everything. Okay, external beauty, how you catch your man, how you be happy. Okay. Yeah. There are an awful lot of messages, and we've only just talked about Disney movies. We haven't even gotten into the stuff that's PG-13. <laughs> Why is it? Why is it that our culture has so many relational messages to throw at us, so many of which are completely wrong, backwards, thwarting, hurtful, set us up for failure and despair, even within the church? Even within the church, I might step on some toes, and I still love you, and you can come and tell me that I stepped on your toes, okay? That's fair. We have this idea of what, I'm going to, I really want you to know that tonight, we're talking about some principles that I think cross the line of relationships in general, not just romantic relationships. But I want to talk for a minute about men and women and roles, and the messages that we receive. Because quite honestly, I was raised in a conservative evangelical church and here was the sum total of my understanding of men and women and their roles, okay? Men were to be the spiritual leader of the home. Women were to submit. That meant that in a very healthy Christian relationship, the two would partner together, they would ask for each other's opinions, they would talk these things through, they would work them, they would truly be a partnership. And if there came to a point where they disagreed, then the man got to make the decision because that's what's biblical. That was the sum total of my understanding of what submission meant when I got engaged to my husband. And some of you heard me say before that that night I went to bed and I said, Dear Jesus, it suddenly becomes important for me to understand what submission means because I've known you long enough to know that you are good and I know your word enough to know that your word is true no matter what. And I can't see that you are good in this word and so I'm just going to say that I believe that you mean for me to submit to my husband 
But I do not believe that submission means what I've always been taught it means. And when you would like to teach me what godly submission looks like, I am listening and I am ready and I am paying attention. But I cannot believe that this mysterious relationship that God uses to describe the church, his bride, this relationship that he established with creation is, is wound up in the sum total of, and if you have a disagreement, the guy gets to make the decision. That just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. And the talk on submission is probably a talk for another day and another time. I'll just give you a teeny tiny piece of it since I started down that road. <clears throat> there was a season in my marriage um, when I was a naysayer. Uh, Jeff would bring up an idea and I would say no. And mostly that was because of what I was afraid of. Um, honey, what if we hosted a Bible study in our house? No, I don't have enough space and capacity to be leading another Bible study. I can't do that. Honey, what if we invited these people to come to this with us? No, I don't know the wives well enough to feel comfortable with them. Honey, what if we didn't? No, because I, it was all about me. And God laid it on my heart. Now, you need to know this. This was completely separate and apart from the submission conversation, okay? I wasn't even thinking of submission. God laid it on my heart that I was being a naysayer and that I needed to be a yes person for my husband and that I needed to engage into what he was thinking and what he was saying and that God really brought it to my attention that I was protecting my own heart and my own interests and I wasn't even listening. Jeff wasn't asking me if I would lead a Bible study. He was asking me if he could lead a Bible study and we could host it in our house. Could I let some people in the living room once a week? Well, yeah. Jeff wasn't asking me if I would organize a social event with these group of people who were kind of on the fringe and he wanted to invite them in. He was asking me if he could organize and pull together and would I be willing to partner with him in that. These were things that he wanted to invest in and I kept saying no to. And as I began to obey God and just say, sweetie, try what you want, two things happened. The first one was 50% of his ideas never came to be. I said, yes, go for it. And he was really pleased with the opportunity to just explore his ideas. And then I, I never heard about him again. Now, that's not why you say yes, but that was one of the things I learned in the journey. The second one was that I met a new man when I lived with a man who thought that I believed in him, that I trusted him, that I thought he could handle it, that I thought he could do it, a man that I wanted to partner with. And I found this exhilarating sense of freedom because all the decisions weren't about me and they didn't have to run through me and I didn't have to figure them out. See, I'd been spinning all these wheels to try to figure things out and try to work out what I thought was the best way to do this when Jeff wasn't asking me to try to figure it out. He was just asking if I believed in him to figure it out. And it was not a matter of me letting him make the decisions. It was a matter of me learning to walk with him and finding myself free, free from stress and worry and fear, free from self-protection and finding my husband thriving. And it was in the middle of this season of like, for me, those are wide open meadows. I'm a little claustrophobic. So if you're talking kind of tight and dark and warm and cozy, those are not my favorite places. My favorite places are like when the skies open up and the, the meadows are wide open. And that was a wide open meadow in my marriage. And it was at that moment when I was just enjoying where God had led me that this still small voice from the Holy Spirit said, and by the way, Jennifer, this is submission. 
This is how it works when you work together and you both do what you're good at. But see, in my evangelical upbringing, what I had learned it meant was that the husband is supposed to be the one who does the spiritual leading. So see, he's supposed to be the one who does the devotions at the dinner table. And he's supposed to be the one who makes sure that the family prays. And he's supposed to be the one who pursues me and says, hey, let's pray together. And quite honestly, I think that's personality-based. I think that's gift mix based. I think there are some of us that were trained to be elementary school teachers and we're pretty good at devotions at the dining room table. And I am not disobeying God to be the one who leads my kids in devotions. My husband loves it when I lead my kids in something creative to learn about God. He's not not being the spiritual leader of the family because I'm leading the family in devotions. And yet we have a sense that it looks like X, Y, and Z. And if my husband or if, if I'm not doing what X, Y, or Z is, or if he's not doing what X, Y, or Z is, then we're not living a biblical relationship. I think that's one of the messed up messages. I don't think I've said all the ways that can be messed up, but I think even in the church, we have messed up messages about what relationships look like. And I want to tell you why. Because relationships are God's core building block for all of society. Before the foundation of the world... God was. Genesis 1.1. We flip all the way back to the very beginning of everything. And it says this. If I can get to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning... Genesis 1-1 and John. I think John is the in the beginning that I want. John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. God was in relationship before he created the world. The word was God. The word is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was God and Jesus was with God. This is Trinitarian doctrine. There's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're in relationship to each other before the world is created. They put all of creation, they make all the animals and all the beauty. And Do you ever just stop and look at a sunset and think, he didn't have to make it that colorful? He did it because he loves us. He just was showing off. He makes Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he makes Eve. It's not just about male-female relationships. That is about the foundational building block of family, man and woman. That's the foundational building block of family. And in the course of time, we see that over and over and over again, God is a God of relationship. God is a God who calls us to be in relationship to himself and calls us to be in relationship to each other. It is the primary gift of our humanity that we get to relate to one another. So why is it so stinking hard? Why is it the source of our deepest griefs? Why is it the place of our deepest pain? It's the place of our highest joy. John 10.10 gives us an idea on this one. I go back to John 10.10 a lot because I honestly think John 10.10 explains a lot in a lot of different contexts. John 10.10 says, uh, this is in the context of a sheep and a sheepfold, and Jesus is talking about, I am the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice. 
and he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus, the good shepherd, wants to give us life to the full. He wants us to know his voice. He wants us to respond to his voice. And he wants us to have a life that is full of all the things that he promises us. Joy, peace. John 14 says, my peace I leave with you. I do not give you as the world gives. He talks about um, knowing a love that is beyond knowing in Ephesians 3. May you know my love. These are the gifts that he wants to give us, this life to the full. And it's in the context of our relationship with him and our relationship with others. But then there's this thief. You see, before creation, Revelation tells us that before the world was even formed, there was a war in the heavenlies. And Satan and a third of the angels were cast down to earth. So before we even ever got here, there was a war going on for your soul and for my soul. And the chief, I believe, the chief battleground is in our relationships because our relationships are the chief building blocks of the way that God wanted it to look and to work. In each other, we have the potential for the fullness of life that God wanted to give us. Not in the way of everything's clear because I found you, the one person. I'm going to find one person, and that's how God intended it to be, and that's how he intended me to find my fullness was in one person. No. But that it can't be in isolation. It can't be in isolation. So what do we do? The enemy of our soul is busy creating animosity. He's creating animosity between us and other people. He's creating animosity, quite honestly, between us and God. A lot of our misconceptions about relationship start with our misconceptions about who God is. And he's creating animosity, quite honestly, between us and ourself. And that's where I want to start tonight. I want to start tonight with this idea of self-acceptance because it's the journey that I'm on. It's the journey that I'm realizing. And one of the things I used to say a lot, and I haven't said in a while, so I'll say it again. When I'm up here, I only have one story to share with you. It's mine. It's the insights, and it's, the, it's, it's what I've been given as I've done life with God. And if I were to sit down and have coffee with you, your story could encourage and exhort me as much as my story does yours. So from my story, this idea of self-acceptance, the enemy of our soul creating animosity between me, myself, and I, what does that look like? How does that work? See, I've been reading a book um, by Morris Dirks. Morris Dirks was a pastor here uh, years ago, and he's now um, running something called Soul Formation, which is a ministry to pastors because he, as a pastor, burnt out. And through his journey, he discovered that pastors need people to take care of their souls. And he and some partners in soul formation run something called an Academy of Spiritual Formation, uh, which is a 18-month academy for leaders. And, I, and it has four retreats. And I just did my first retreat last November. I have my second retreat in March. And it's this journey of how do leaders learn to take care of their souls. And I believe it's a journey that will help leaders teach people how to take care of their soul. And I've been reading this book that Morris wrote about his own journey. And one of the things he talks about is that as young kids, 
we're pretty smart. And we discover, we were talking about family of origin. Trudy, you were mentioning that you see what your kids are going to become and you want to give them the freedom to be that. Every family of origin is different and we're all human, which means we're all broken. So no matter which one we came from, we're going to have issues. It's just a matter of which issues they're going to be. I have a friend who jokes and he says, I don't save for my kids' college. I save for my kids' counseling. <laughs> I should start my own savings account. No, I pray for my kids that God will bring people into their lives to intersect at strategic moments the way he has done for me because he has not left me alone in my brokenness as I have discovered it. And so when I pray for my kids in the ways that I know I've already impacted them for better or for worse, I pray that he would be as gracious to them as he's been to me and bring people into their lives to bring them to the next step and level of truth when the time is right. So Morris is talking about how in our families, we learn ways of behaving that bring pleasure to us and the people around us. We learn ways of doing things that are safe, that don't make people angry. That We learn that if I put this part of me out, it doesn't work so well, but if I put this out, it's okay. And so we learn this false way of doing life that's very self-protective. It's, and it's, honestly, it serves us very well. <laughs> we need it. It's a survival skill. What happens is it becomes so ingrained in us that we don't realize that the ways that we're responding to situations, the ways that we're reacting, the ways that we're reacting within relationship is not based on who our true self is, but based on the false self that we became out of necessity in our family of origin. Are you following me on this one? I wish I had the book in front of me so I could read his phrase because he says it better than I do. But what the point is that we get to the age and stage where you and I are at and they are blind spots in our lives. We don't realize what we're doing because it's so ingrained in who we've become. And for me, one of those blind spots that I have been bumping into, one of the places that I've been stuck, is that I have found that over the last five years or so, I have been more and more and more acutely aware of a growing loneliness. And I know hundreds of people there were a thousand people at my wedding. There were a thousand people at my mother-in-law's service two or three months ago. I know people. This is not a loneliness from not being around people. How can you be around people all the time with reasonably decent relationships and still have this pit of loneliness? And this is where I found myself stuck with just my wheels spinning of, God, I don't know how to get out of here. What is this about? And for you, your stuck place may be someplace different than mine, but I'm guessing if we were really, really honest, each of us could probably say, yeah, I have a stuck spot where it just, it's kind of that place where I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall and I've tried to change things, but I just don't know how to make them change. And this was mine. Mine was, I am surrounded by people and I'm lonely. Why is that? And one of the things that God's been uncovering layer after layer after gracious layer, <laughs> I've been sitting, I actually this month find myself in a reasonably good frame of mind, but I've been sitting on a borderline bad mood, kind of depressed, but not clinically depressed, but just not very happy for several years. And I keep asking God to give me joy. <laughs> And I keep have to coming back to, it's his grace that allows me to feel the way I feel because the reality is there's something that he wants to show me 
And the only reason I lean into him for finding that out is because I'm lonely. And if he took away the symptom that I, if he made me happy, I wouldn't stay in the place long enough to find out what it is that's causing this. And here's what I'm discovering. I'm not all the way done with it, but here's what I'm discovering. My false self from my childhood, my thing that I did to survive was to bury the highs and lows of who I am. The, the real sad, the real angry, the real whatever, disrespectful, the real, you know, that part didn't have a place. And the real exuberant, real excited, really just thrilled about something, that found its death in grade school. <laughs> I don't know if any of you else have things that found their death in grade school, but that found its death in grade school. And I learned to just kind of live in these margins that were really reasonable margins. They've been very happy margins for me for about 35 years of my life. They're pretty decent margins. But what I've discovered in a nutshell, because you don't have all night, is that there, the parts of me at those edges, not only did I put them in a closet and not show them to anybody else, but I decided they were bad and I rejected them myself. So I rejected part of my own self. And I've got these pieces that when they come up, not only do I try to hide them from others, but I will not admit that they're really how I feel. So I've got a feeling rising up in me, and I am at battle with myself. You see, the enemy of my soul is creating animosity between us and others, between us and God. And for me, he's creating animosity between me, myself, and I. Because I don't like her. Because people rejected me because of her, and I don't even want to admit that she exists. That exuberant, overexcited, going to get people to turn away from her because she's just slobbering all over with them with how excited she is about what's about to happen. This is so cool. No, we keep it mellow. We stay cool. We, hey, that's, yeah, that's nice. One example. <laughs> uh, friendships. I've sometimes wondered if I'm borderline Asperger's because I just sometimes don't know what to do socially. Um, I know that sounds weird from somebody who knows what to do when the microphone's in your hand, but it's true. I sometimes just don't know what to do in social situations. And when I was little, that didn't serve me very well. And so I learned to never want to be somebody's friend really bad. Because if I wanted to be their friend really bad, and I admitted to myself that I wanted to be their friend really bad, and they didn't want to be my friend, that hurt too bad. So it was way easier to just go, oh, yeah, she's really nice. I love it when we can get together. That's nice. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, yeah, great person. Yeah, we're on a team together. Love being on a team with her. Oh, she's so funny. It's great. But, oh, she's so busy. It's okay. I don't, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need. I don't need. Because to need is to hurt. Because if I need someone, then they can hurt me. And I literally, about two and a half years ago, had to sit down with a friend of mine. This was midway through this journey. And it was a woman I had known for years. We've been peers for years. We've been on a ministry um, level of doing similar ministry things over the years. Really um, love her. And for all these years, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Oh, yeah, she's great. Oh, man, when we can get together, it's super. I, oh, yeah, she's got other friends. Yeah, I've got other friends. I literally had to sit down with her in the living room. And I was sobbing like a 13-year-old. And I said, God is telling me 
that I have to tell you that I want to be your friend. I need to name my desire. I want to be your friend. You guys, it's this crazy journey of how do you, one author puts it this way. If there's something in yourself that you closed in a closet at a certain age, when you open the closet, she comes out the same age as when you put her in. So for me, this issue of friendship went into the closet when I was about 11, 12. And so when God began to crack open the door, I had to have a couple people who would do life with me for a while in a 38-year-old body acting like a 12-year-old in relationship. And some of you need permission to do that. And some of you need people who you can do that with in your life, who you can sit down in your living room and you can say, this scares the living daylights out of me. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I was scared to death to look that woman in the eye and say, I want to be your friend. I need you to be my friend. That's me. But here's what I've learned on the journey. This is a fantastic line. If you remember anything, remember this. This is another author I've been reading. I've been reading way too many books lately because this Academy of Spiritual Formation, you have to read all these books. There's a lot of good stuff in books. One author was talking about self-acceptance and how How can I make this brief? You guys have been very patient tonight as I've just kind of gone on my merry way. Uh, I'm kind of sort of talking about what I have in my notes. Okay. (laughs) That until we can accept ourselves, the part of ourself that we reject is the part that gains power and that grows in the darkness and that comes in to hit us, to bite us in the back. It's the part that destroys our relationships. It's the part that leads to addiction. It's the part that leads to controlling behaviors. The parts that we are trying to hide, the parts that we will not accept, the parts of me that I reject are the parts of me that are rising up. Did you guys ever see the veggie tail with the great big huge um, rumor weed that got bigger than the town and towered all over everything? Ah, ha, 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 ha. That's what the parts that I reject are like. They're like this big weed that grows up and just goes, and they've got this control, and I'm trying to battle them with my discipline or my obedience or my... So, for example, I don't know how to be friends with people because I don't know how to admit that I need them, and so I'm lonely, but I don't know that I'm lonely because I have thousands of people around them. So I do things like watch Facebook or movies where people are having good relationships that feel good at the end of them. And I don't just watch them, but I, and you guys have heard me say this before, I watch them till 1, 2, 3 in the morning. I neglect my children. I neglect, move, I neglect my f- feeding my family. I neglect cleaning my house. If I let myself go on a binge, I'm going to go forever and ever and ever because this is where I see healthy relationships happening and I feel some sort of connection to people through Facebook or whatever it is. This is my outlet for what I can't get over here because I've rejected this part of me. So what I try is I spend all this time over here going, I'm not going to be on Facebook anymore. I'm, okay, I'm going to get on Facebook, but I'm going to bed at nine. Okay, I'm going to watch a movie, but I'm going to turn it off when my kids get home from school. Okay, I'll start this novel, but I will only read one chapter at a time. And I'm trying to discipline myself with all these symptoms that are my outflow of the fact that I'm lonely and I'm trying to find relationship anywhere but the place where I have to admit that I need people. And I'm fighting all my symptoms over here, and they're gaining power and authority in my life, and pretty soon they're like the big weed that's up, because I can't control them anymore. And the invitation is to come back over here 
and to just let those things be what they're going to be for a while and quit fighting the battle with a symptom that isn't the real problem and sit with God long enough to begin to see that if I want those things to have less power in my life, I have to accept that I need people. And in order to accept that I need people, I have to get past some of my own self-rejection. And it's one of the hardest journey because this is what Morris said, we can't see it. We're blind to it. We're stuck and we don't know what it is that we need because it's what we've done all our lives. And it's in that place that we're invited to come to God with where we're stuck and to be still. There was a season in my life that a, a verse from Exodus 14, 14 was huge for me. It was when the Israelites had escaped from Egypt, but they were at the Red Sea and they were stuck. The Egyptians were coming and they were stuck between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And the Lord said, Moses turned to the people and he said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And for me, that's what this journey has been about. The Lord will fight for you. You need to be still. I had to be still long enough for him to show me what I was rejecting about myself so that he could come in and begin to heal what I was rejecting about myself. And one of the authors that I started to talk about in this whole process of self-acceptance says for a lot of Christians, this part is hard because we feel like it's exactly counter to what the gospel says. The gospel says we need to crucify our sinful nature, that I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so we're supposed to, we're not supposed to be working on self-acceptance of all this bad stuff. We're supposed to be working on crucifying that stuff. And the reality is there is a call to lay down our life to follow Christ. But the author said this, he said, the parts of us that we're trying to crucify without accepting it's not laying our life down, it's denial. You hear that? The parts of me that I'm trying to crucify before I admit that they're real, I'm in denial about those. I'm not laying them before the Lord. And so there's this journey of accepting that I am God's beloved daughter with all of this junk unresolved. I am God's beloved daughter. And it's only from that place of being his beloved daughter that I can sit with him and look at this stuff that's the real root of it because it's too scary otherwise. And so when we come to the place where we can begin to accept all of us, good, bad, and ugly, then the good, then the bad, and the ugly quits having power over us. Does this make sense? When we quit denying it, and it just becomes part of the accepted norm that's a piece of me. Another example, I'm anxious. I'm an anxious person. I hate being an anxious person. I grew up in the church that says be anxious about nothing. So I've spent a lot of years trying to pretend that I'm not anxious, and worry is not a piece of my makeup, not who I am, because I'm a Christian. And the reality is my body betrays me. Because I can tell you that I'm not anxious and inside my stomach is tied up in knots. And I'm like, oh, shush and leave me alone. But my body is betraying that there are things going on inside of me. And I'm finding a freedom in saying, I'm anxious. This is a part of how I react and respond to my world. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to live there. But if I keep denying anxiety, then anxiety rises up and gets power over me. But if I accept anxiety as part of my belovedness in God, 
then he can take it out into the light and it can become a place that I function free of, not because it's eradicated, but because I'm embracing, yep, that's a piece of who I am and it loses its power over me. The reason I spend so much time on self-acceptance is because to the degree that you and I can accept ourselves, to that same degree and limited by that degree, can we accept the relationship of others, including God, including our family, including our spouse or our children or our parents. Let's just put a percentage on it. Let's say that in my description that I've just given you with all my width here, that I've got 70% of me that I accept and 30% of me that I don't accept. Okay, it's not this mathematic, okay, but just for the sake of clarity. That 30% that I don't accept, that 30% that I've got a wall up saying that's not a part of who I am and whether that's a blind spot not accepting or an awareness not accepting, that 30% is a 30% that I can't let anybody else accept, that I can't let anybody else see and that I have hidden in the dark and I'm not letting God into because God's a gentleman and he only comes and heals and touches and deals with what we give him permission to do. And so I've got this part of me that nobody can get to. Uh, six or seven or eight years ago, I was in Life Path Ministries and somebody said to me once, they said, so Jennifer, are you afraid that if somebody knew the real you, they wouldn't like you anymore? And I said, no, I'm an open book. I'm fine. You can know the real me. I'm authentic. It's all great. That's because I was completely, utterly, 100% blind to the 30%. I was petrified that if somebody saw any of that 30%, they would absolutely walk away from me and reject me. I was so petrified that I was blind to it. I had spent so much time guarding that 30% that I didn't even know it was there anymore. It was like a secret hidden room. I thought I was living in 100% of who I am but I was only living in 70% of who I am and not God, not my husband, not my closest friends, and not even me could get to those places. And ladies, my loneliness was locked in the closet with the 30% of me that just wanted to be known. And I couldn't ever be known because I couldn't let her be seen because I couldn't accept her. And so while it seems really counterintuitive, one of the main keys to healthy relationships is to accept who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and to let her be, and to let her come out, and to face the fear that you might have to look someone in the eye, whatever your stuck spot is, and with tears streaming down your face say, I know this sounds like I'm 12, but I really want you to be my friend. <laughs> Not because I need one more person in my life, but because I need one person in my life who sees me honestly and who responds to me honestly, and who I can be real with when I begin to discover what real is. We block our own healthy relationships when we try to keep parts of us hidden. It's not easy. I don't have a quick fix. I don't have all the answers or a three-step to feeling better about this. But I do have this to say. If you resonate with what I'm saying, and you're going, I think there might be some places that are hidden in me that I don't get, just tell God that. All he's asking for is our willingness to engage with him, and he will do all the rest. He's the one who opens our eyes to our blind spots. When we're stuck, God, I'm stuck, and I don't know why. And when you're ready to show me, would you make me ready and willing to hear what it is? 
Would you give me the courage? You know, the prayer that, the serenity prayer that comes with our life path ministries and recovery ministries, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's all wrapped up right there, ladies. <laughs> A daily prayer. The serenity to accept what I can't change. There are things in this world, there are things about your relationships that you can't change. The courage to change the things I can. There are things that you can change, and they will take just blood and guts courage. And the wisdom to know the difference. When is this something that I can change, and when is it something I can't change? I want to give you the second half of my notes in two and a half minutes because there's a couple important points in them. There are some pretty big relationship breakers. I don't have an exhaustive list, but I have a list of some of the ones that I've seen. One of them is control. When we are trying to control someone else, we are breaking relationship. And I think one of the relationships this is hardest with is parenting. Because as parents, it's our job to help our kids develop good behavior. But when we do that through controlling mechanisms, not only do we set them up for failure when we're no longer in control in their lives, but we set up this relationship that is a relationship breaker. Because you see, God is not a father who controls us. I know that sometimes in Christian circles, we like to say that God is in control. But if you look in the garden, God put a bad choice because he would not be a father that controlled his children. He would not have relationship by never allowing them to do something that was outside the scope of what he wanted them to do. Because I don't believe it was God's will for Adam and Eve to eat the apple. He told them not to, and they did anyway. It wasn't his will, but he refused to control them. He chose love and relationship over them. But you see, some of us feel like if somebody doesn't do what we want, if we disobey, then relationship is broken. But God demonstrates that that's not true either. Because that very night, he came back to walk with them in the garden. And not only did he come and continue to engage in relationship with them, even though he knew that they had chosen something that was outside of his will, he protected them by moving them out of the garden so that they couldn't eat from the tree of life and live eternally with their knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to preach on this in a few weeks, and so I need to not go there tonight. <laughs> but we often attribute to God things as punishment. He punished them by banning them from the garden. It's not punishment at all. It's his grace. It's his gift. He wanted to still be in relationship with them. He did not want them to have eternal life in their broken state. And so he banished them from the garden so they couldn't eat from the tree of life until he had done the remedy for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we seek to control the people that we're in relationship with, we're breaking relationship because eventually control breaks down. Eventually, people resent being controlled, and eventually we will lose them. And so the picture, the opposite spirit for control is open hands with our friends, with our children, with our parents, with our coworkers, with our boyfriend or our husband. This open hand of, I love you. This is what I think would be a great direction for us. This is what I think would be a great decision. If you want my ideas, if you want my suggestions, you come and let me know. And you are free to make whatever choice you are going to make. 
and I will come and I will be in relationship with you and I will not break relationship with you no matter what choice you make. There may be consequences. There may be boundaries. There may be things that I will no longer do or that you will no longer be allowed to do based on the choices that you're making, but I will not go to the place of trying to control you in order to make this thing work. We've talked a little bit about self-acceptance. One of the things that happens if we don't accept ourselves is we don't live in honesty, and living in dishonesty is a relationship breaker. Let me give you an example. If I, when I am dating, try to be who I think he wants me to be, that's dishonest. I need to be who I am so that he knows. That's false advertisement. <laughs> that's false marketing. He needs to know what he's getting. But if I try to be what I think he wants me to be because I'm trying to fit the mold, and then eventually we get married, and then 10 years down the line, I'm kind of tired of being what I think he wants me to be, so I decide to be myself. Well, I have just broken relationship because I'm the one who was not honest in the first place. And so as we establish relationships, as we move into relationships, and as we mature in our relationships, we need to be moving in a direction of authenticity and honesty with who we are. When we're honest with ourselves, we can be honest with others. And if you find yourself in a place where your eyes are opening up and you're going, Jennifer, I've already been married 10, 15, 20 years, and I was blind to what my false self was, and now I'm starting to see her and I wasn't trying to be dishonest, but how do I move in honesty and authenticity now? I would say, go back to that place of, God, here's where I'm stuck. Can you just give me one step? Would you just give me one step on what's next here? Some of those stuck places can be pretty deep pits, and I don't have easy answers, but I know that taking it to God is the place to take it. One more, and then I'll call, call it a day. There is a cycle that happens in relationships, any of these types of relationships, and the cycle has to be broken by someone. So one of the things that breaks relationship is, is judge, a judgmental spirit or a critical spirit, something that just looks at someone and sees what's wrong with them, and that often comes out in gossip. And so one of the things we want to do in building those healthy relationships is to back away and see the different levels. There's a judgment that leads to a critical spirit that leads to gossip. In the place of judgment, we need to recognize that God is the judge and only he sees the heart and I only see the outside and I have no idea what's going on inside and I can just let that one go. In the place of a critical spirit, we can start to pray for that person. God, release and pray in the opposite spirit. I see greed in them. Would you release generosity? I see selfishness in them. Would you release an other-centeredness? We pray over them, and we begin to heap coals on their heads instead of bite, bite, biting, biting, biting with this critical spirit. And in the place of gossip, we simply have to make a commitment that we are not going to talk bad to the people about others. And ladies, in the Christian church, this is really important, and I wish that we had more time to go into this one. But when I got engaged to my husband, my three sisters-in-law came one morning and kidnapped me, and they took me out to breakfast, and they sat me down, and they said, we are going to make a commitment to you that we have made to each other, and we're going to ask you for that commitment in return. And that is a commitment that we will never say anything bad about you to anyone, barring our husband. We want permission to speak openly and honestly with him, but we will not speak bad about you to anyone else. And I cannot tell you what a gift that has been. My in-law family is one of the most amazing families I know and one of the biggest gifts in my life because there were some who would make a commitment, not just because of this, but the commitment demonstrates the heart. 
And whether you have a reciprocal commitment with someone or not, you need to just decide in your heart that you're not going to say things negative about people unless they're a part of the solution or part of the problem. There's a lot of loose ends there. But the cycle I want to say is this. There are times that we get in this cycle of hurt, self-protection, hurt, self-protection, and somebody has to break out of the cycle. And that's where it takes courage. And that might be in a workplace. That might be with um, parents. That might be with a spouse. Might be with a wayward child. But somebody has to be the one to take the risk to recognize what the cycle is based on. Is it based on a critical spirit and so someone's withdrawing? And so you get more critical because you're hurt when they withdraw. Somebody has to break the cycle and have the courage to say, if I'm the one who's being critical, I will quit being critical and lean in and try to believe in you. Or if I'm the one who's withdrawing, I will quit withdrawing because I've been hurt and I will lean in. Somebody, we need to recognize what the cycle is based on and be willing to be the one to take the risk to break our part of the cycle and lean in, not knowing if the other person will choose to break their part of the cycle. And I want to say this. Um, in an abusive situation, whether that's verbal, emotional, physical, um, there are different ways of dealing with those things than just staying and, oh, I need to break the cycle and lean in and be vulnerable and lean in and be vulnerable. Those are different than what I'm talking about. If you find yourself in those places, find a trusted person to talk with. Um, if you wanted to chat with me, I would be happy to point you to a trusted person to talk with. But if you think you're in an abusive situation, that's not the same as somebody choosing to be vulnerable and breaking the cycle of where the relationship is stuck. Okay, I've kept you seven minutes over. Let's pray. And if you have questions, I would be happy. To, I'm around for a while afterwards, okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So, Father, may we be women who know how to receive this kind of love from you, so that we can be women who know how to love the people in our lives this way. In your name, amen.